welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, September 30th, 2018, on the basis of Revelation 12, verses 7 through 12. So when was the last time you pictured angels? Let's say you get home at the end of a really exhausting day. You're completely wiped out, and so you sit down on the couch and put your feet up. Before you turn on the TV, do you stop for a second to picture angels? Or let's say you get called into the boss's office at work and she really chews you out. I mean, really lets you have it. And so, so you sort of slink your way back to your desk and sit down, completely demoralized, completely with no motivation to get back to the task at hand. Before you do, do you stop for a minute to picture angels? Let's say you're driving home and it's been a really long day. The car is making some new strange noise. The kids are in the back seat and they won't stop fighting. As you drive through the neighborhood, it seems like every house that you pass is nicer than yours. Come to think of it, so are the cars in the garage and even the boat. And as you picture the families inside of those houses, you picture them sitting down for a nice home-cooked meal with lots of, of sharing and laughter going on. And of course, none of those things ever seem to happen in your house. And so as you pull into the driveway and put the car in park, do you stop for a second and picture angels? I'm guessing I'm not the only one for whom the answer to each of those questions would be a resounding no. And maybe we don't spend a lot of time picturing angels because of, well, because of how we often picture angels. Maybe when angels come to mind, the image that pops into our head looks sort of like this. Cute toddlers in their birthday suits, seemingly serving no purpose whatsoever except to add a little bit of cuteness on the perimeter of some sort of Renaissance art. Or maybe when we picture angels, the picture that comes to mind is sort of like this one, a sort of mother hen-like figure who watches over little children to make sure that they don't stumble and fall. And, And sure, I suppose That's nice, but as we face various challenges in life, I'm guessing what we don't need is just a little bit of cuteness added onto the perimeter of our lives. And and when it comes to keeping people safe, yeah, I suppose that's important, but after all, isn't that what anti-lock brakes and side impact airbags are for? So if this is how we picture angels, maybe it's no wonder that we don't spend a lot of time picturing angels. And yet, if that's the case, might I suggest that we might be missing out. Consider this for a moment. Consider that at the time when the church was just for the very first time facing empire-wide, government-sponsored persecution for their faith, just as the last living link to Jesus himself, the Apostle John, the last living apostle, was growing old and was about to die, Just as God was giving his people one final word, one final message, one final revelation that they could read and think about and meditate on as they faced whatever life might throw at them, what did God want his people to picture? Well, among other things, he wanted them to picture angels. And yet, as you might imagine, the angels that God wanted his people to picture in the book of Revelation were not angels that were cute little toddlers in their birthday suits. It wasn't mother hen-like figures making sure kids don't stub their toesies. No, as we read about the angels in the book of Revelation, we read about terrifyingly powerful beings. 
In fact, in these verses, we see angels at war with other angels in this, this cosmic life and death struggle. In fact, the more we think about it, the more we picture it, the more we imagine it, the more we might be terrified at the thought of what goes on in that spiritual realm. And yet, as we look at these verses today, God would not have us be terrified. Instead, God would want this. God would want us to find peace as we picture angels at war. That is the picture that we get from the Apostle John in these verses, angels at war. On the one side, you've got the good angels. They are led by Michael, who is referred to as an archangel, a leader angel. Then on the other side, you've got the evil angels, and they are led by Satan. John tells us that in this war, Michael and the good angels win, Satan and the evil angels lose, and as a result, Satan and his evil angels lose their place in heaven and are hurled down to the earth. So what in the world is John talking about? Well, if you know anything about angels, you might be tempted to think that this war in heaven that's being described is, is the initial rebellion that Satan and his evil angels were led in way back at the beginning of time that caused them to lose their place in heaven. And yet, as we look at these verses, there are two very important details, especially in the surrounding context, that let us know that this is a, a different war that's being talked about. First of all, in the preceding verses, the verses that come right before these, we find out that this war in heaven took place after Jesus lived on earth. So Jesus was born, and Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus ascended back into heaven and was seated at God's right hand on a mighty throne, and that's when war in heaven broke out. The second important detail to note is the result of this war in heaven. We're told that as a result of this war, Satan and his evil angels lost their place in heaven, and as a result, they were no longer able to do, Satan was no longer able to do the thing that he loves to do most. It's the thing that he's been doing ever since that initial rebellion against God at the beginning of time. It's, it's the very thing that has given Satan one of his names, that name, the devil. And as John says, it's the very thing that Satan loves to do round the clock. Morning, noon, and night, day after day. Namely, Satan loves to accuse. Satan loves to stand before the throne of God, sort of as a prosecuting attorney, and accuse, bring accusations against human beings. He loves to point out to God all of the sins that we've committed. He loves to point out to God how we deserve the very same fate that he is destined for, namely an eternity in hell. So here's what God wants us to picture. That after Jesus lived and died, as a substitute for all mankind, he ascended into heaven, was seated at the right hand of God, and, and Jesus' work was so perfect, so complete. God's approval of Jesus was so full and so final that no longer could any accusation against humanity ever be brought again. Satan, that great prosecuting attorney, had nothing more to say because there was Jesus, the perfect man, as representative for us all. And so rather than letting Satan go on and on and on and on with all of his meaningless accusations, God decided to kick him out of heaven. And he sent Michael and the rest of the good angels to execute the order, and war broke out. And of course, Michael and his angels won. Satan was banished, and never again, never again will Satan be able to approach the throne room of God and bring an accusation against anyone. Now, why is that such a comforting thought? Well, you maybe know how powerful an accusation can be. 
In fact, if you've been following along the Senate confirmation hearings for Judge Brett Kavanaugh this week, you know how powerful an accusation can be. Something might have happened years and years and years ago, and, and no one knows about it. No one is aware of it. There's absolutely no consequences for what happened. But then, all of a sudden, the accusation comes. It is brought to light. It is brought out in the open. And that's when everything can change. That's when a reputation can completely change. That's when reputations or relationships can change. That's when a person's career can come to an end. That's, of course, why it is so important to spend so much time and effort finding out whether or not the accusation is true. Accusations are incredibly powerful. And friends, the terrifying news is that when it comes to the accusations that Satan would bring against us, he's got the truth on his side. He's got all the dirt that he needs. He doesn't need to go making stuff up. He doesn't need to go exaggerating things or stretching the truth. He has all the material that he could possibly ever want to bring every accusation against us. And so let me ask, if that happened, if that were the case, if every deep, dark secret were brought out into the open and made public, what would happen? What would change? Would your reputation be ruined? Would that gleam in your children's eyes when they look at you as mom or dad? Would it go away? Would the warmth of the embrace of a husband or a wife, would it suddenly grow cold? Would you lose your job if everything came out? Can we all just agree that's a terrifying thought? That all of our deep, dark secrets would be brought out into the open, that all of these accusations against us would be made. And what's even more terrifying than that is if somehow those accusations could be brought to God that somehow they would be used as the basis for his judgment about our eternity. That in order to get into heaven, we would somehow need to convince him to look the other way or somehow justify or explain away our behavior, that somehow we would need to plead with him to give us a pass in spite of everything that we've done. And so thankfully, that's a thought that we don't even ever need to think about. Satan has lost his place before the throne room of God. The work of of our Savior Jesus is so perfect and so complete that it's not just that God doesn't listen to the accusations that are brought against us. God refuses even to hear them. And so he takes Satan and he banishes from him from heaven. And Michael and his angels are there standing guard, guaranteeing that Satan will never appear before him again. Now that all sounds pretty nice, I think you'd agree. And it sounds pretty nice that when we stand before God in judgment, we won't have to be worried about Satan standing right there as the prosecuting attorney, bringing up all of the things that we've done during our lives. But why is that important for us to picture and remember right now? Why is that a picture that's worth thinking about over and over and over again? Well, John tells us, yes, Satan very much was the loser in this war in heaven, this war between the good angels and the evil angels, Satan absolutely is a loser, but there's one thing that Satan is not. Satan is not a quitter. And so as soon as he gets cast out of heaven, he simply redirects where he is going to carry out this war, brings it to a new front, marshals together all of his forces, and now focuses focuses his attention on bringing that war to earth. You see, Satan knows that there's more than one way for him to win this spiritual battle that's going on for our souls. It's not just that he would get God to hear and believe the accusations that he can bring against us. It's that if he gets us to hear and believe the accusations that he has against us. 
In fact, that's still the work that he loves to do. That's still the work that he does night and day. I'm not sure when we think about the work of Satan in our lives, we always think, first and foremost, of his accusing. Picture a human being whose life is completely controlled by Satan, whose life is just being overrun by demonic forces. And what do you picture? You picture someone who's up to their eyeballs in sin, don't you? You picture someone who flies off the handle in fits of uncontrollable rage. You picture someone who's cheating on their spouse or abusing their children or addicted to drugs, alcohol, or pornography. Someone who is completely under the control of Satan and completely steeped in sin. And yes, Satan does lead us to sin, but only as a means to an end. Only so that he can immediately turn around and then do what he does best and do what he loves to do most accuse us. In fact, stop and think for a moment about how much, how many of your thoughts, how much of your behavior is impacted by Satan's successful accusations, by him convincing you that in one way or another you don't measure up, that you aren't good enough, that the worth and the value that you seek as a human being is somehow still out there that you don't fully possess it. For example, Do you struggle with jealousy? Do you look around and find yourself envious of people who have more or are more than you are? Do you struggle with rivalry against a fellow worker, a fellow student, a fellow sibling who, for whatever reason, somehow always seems to be more smart, more talented, better looking than you are? Whatever the case might be, do you struggle with jealousy? Do you struggle with taking wrongs against you very seriously, very deeply, very personally. When someone doesn't treat you the way that you think you ought to be treated, do you struggle with that as as a deep personal attack on, on who you are, on your very character? Do you harbor a grudge? Do you seek revenge? Do you struggle to bend under pressure and conform to the image that other people want you to have? Are you you constantly changing who you are and how you portray yourself to the world so that other people might like you more? Are you even willing to, to sin and give in to temptation so that other people might accept you? Friends, realize that all of those are symptoms of Satan's successful accusations against us. Him successfully convincing us that somehow we're not good enough that somehow we don't measure up, that somehow we don't have the worth and the value that we are after. Satan has lost the war in heaven. He sure is a loser up there, but make no mistake, he will bring the war down to earth. And day and night, as long as he has time, in fact, as John tells us, he's even more furious than ever because he knows the time is short. He will carry out this war here on earth. And so thankfully in these verses, John doesn't tell us only how Satan is a loser up in heaven. He also tells us how Satan becomes a loser in the war that he brings down to earth. In his vision, John pictures people who are up in heaven, people who have overcome Satan and his accusations here on earth and have successfully made it to the throne of God. And here's what John hears about them. It says, They, these believers, triumphed over him, that is the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. In other words, friends, the way to overcome Satan and all of his accusations is to go back again and again to the Word of God where we are reminded how perfect and complete the work of our Savior Jesus is, where we are reminded that we are 
good enough, that we do measure up, that all of the value and worth that we could ever dream of is ours, not because of anything that we have done, but only because of Jesus, because Jesus, our brother, is at the right hand of God. And God's opinion of us is completely determined by his opinion of his own dear son. Satan's accusations have no power against us. It's no wonder that Satan knows that in order to win this spiritual battle for our souls, there's just one thing he needs to do. He needs to separate us from the word of God. This is the book that tells all of his dirty little secrets. This is the book that shows what a loser he is. This is a book that reminds us in every way, shape, and form, including by holding before our eyes this war in heaven between Michael and his angels and the devil and his angels. It reminds us in every possible way the complete sufficiency of the work of Jesus, that nothing more is needed, that Satan cannot possibly bring an accusation against us. Satan is not just a loser in the war in heaven. He's also a loser in the war on earth because the word of God gives us the power that we need to defeat him. And so friends, whether you end up picturing angels all the time in your life or not, God wants you to have peace. Normally when we think of peace, we think of the absence of war. God wants you to have peace even in the midst of war. Even as Satan Till his dying day will continue to bring accusations against you. God wants you to have peace. He wants you to know that you can take the worst possible thoughts about yourself, the worst possible things anyone might ever say against you, and not only does God not think those things about you, God refuses even to hear those things about you because Satan, the great accuser, has been banished from heaven forever. Yes, as long as we are here on this earth, Satan will be our great accuser. But as long as Jesus sits at God's right hand in heaven, friends, rest assured that Satan is and will always be a loser. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.